Nelson Mandela once said that education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. On this podcast, we will be discussing and exploring issues of education and social justice. Hello, TMPW listeners. I'm so glad you decided to listen to the second episode of The Most Powerful Weapon podcast. Our second episode is a continuation of our discussion on education funding in the state of Colorado. In our last episode, you may remember that we discussed the effects of COVID-19 on school budgets in the fall and in the years to come. We also learned from David about repealing the Gallagher Amendment, why relying so heavily on property taxes to fund schools is inequitable, and how this repeal could sustainably provide more K-12 education funding. On this episode, I'm one of your hosts, Andrea, and I'm back with my co-host, David, and our educated guest, Micah, to inform listeners on how Tabor has exacerbated school finance issues and how you can act right now. We need your help right now to get legislation on the ballot that could help repair some of the effects of COVID-19 on our school budgets. Yeah, I think equity is a big issue when we're talking about school funding for sure. Um, and I know one of the like bases of Colorado school funding is something called TABOR, um, which is the Colorado Taxpayer Bill of Rights. Uh, and I had heard about TABOR when I was in college studying to be an educator, but it wasn't really until recently that I wanted to dig more into it to actually understand how education funding works, uh, because TABOR is kind of at the heart of the issue, in my opinion. Um, so essentially, uh, David, Micah, under TABOR, state and local governments cannot raise tax rates without voter approval and cannot spend revenues collected under existing tax rates without voter approval if revenue grows faster than the rate of inflation and population growth. So any revenue that's in excess of the TABOR limit, which is commonly called the TABOR surplus, is refunded to taxpayers unless voters approve a revenue change as an offset in a referendum. So under TABOR, the state has returned more than $2 billion to taxpayers. Uh, so a lot of this money that could be funneled into education because of the TABOR limits um, is given back to taxpayers and a lot of people in Colorado um, voters have to approve that. And so like a lot of voters aren't necessarily willing to approve um, those referendums to give that money back to education. So I know TABOR is a big part of the funding issues in Colorado as well. Yeah, uh, Andre, I, I would definitely agree. And and if I could uh, kind of bring the Gallagher Amendment and Tabor together and like how they work together. Um, as I said before, in the Gallagher Amendment, uh, we've seen property, uh, residential property uh, rates go down. And basically in the state, it's easy to take away tax money to help fund the state, but then, especially in bad years, right? Uh, but then in good years, when you're like, oh, we have a surplus, let's raise the tax rate, let's raise it back up, then you bump into Tabor. No, you can't raise it unless people vote for it. And so it's easy to, to see tax uh, decreases, but then when you wanna have an increase, uh, Tabor gets in the way of that. And to me, that's been uh, like a double-edged sword in trying to uh, get funding for the state and definitely for education. Yeah, and I want to note that there have been opponents to Tabor and there have been people who have tried to repeal parts of Tabor or all of Tabor. 
um, because the lack of tax revenue has hurt Colorado in so many different ways. So for instance, Colorado ranks 48th in the nation for higher education funding, and that's based on personal income level, um, which is the lowest in 40 years. So we were 34th in the nation in 1992, and now we're 48th. Another example is Colorado ranks 44th in what we spend to repair our roads. So I know a lot of people here make bad jokes about our roads, um, but it's a real thing and Tabor's kind of at the heart of that. Um, on top of that, K-12 education funding, Colorado ranks 42nd in the nation. So we are, we are one of the lowest states for funding some of these public services and Tabor is not properly allowing us to do that, like you said, because of that limit. Um, and then school there's been some pushes in the past to repeal parts of Tabor, like i said earlier and unfortunately those haven't been successful voters haven't voted for them or overturned them i'm not sure if part of that is just a lack of understanding of Tabor and how it works or um if it's you know voters not wanting uh not wanting to be able to raise taxes in that way but it's it's been shot down every time that it's kind of come up on the ballot so i know uh, now, the state legislator and people who are advocating for more funding for these things are looking at kind of other ways around Tabor that we can add more funding to the budget, um, which is interesting. Yeah, Tabor is like, for me, I actually have to like refrain from getting really fired up when it comes to talking about Tabor. Um, I think Tabor is like the mandatory minimum sentencing idea writ to taxation, right? Where it's like, this seems like a great idea. We'll make it so nothing can change and it's absolutely rigid. And then, you know, now here we are, you know, it's happened in the nineties. We're here 30 years later um, and we're just stuck with it, right? It had, it's had catastrophic impact in the same way that mandatory minimums have as a policy, right? Um, like so much so that like I always joke that in Colorado, you're a master teacher by the time you're 26 and you're a real estate agent by the time you're 28. Um, like, of course we can't keep teachers. We can't pay teachers. Of course we can't fix the road. Like we, and so Colorado is in sort of this unique position where in terms of funding, we're like the South, right? We're like Alabama, Mississippi, like sort of we've, we've approached it very similarly to the way they have. Um, and we are very much an outlier in that way. And I shudder to think you know, we, we've sort of done 30 years of Tabor. Um, I shudder to think what would happen if we do 30 years more. Like, you know, we're, we're down to 44th, 48th in, in, all of these, in all of these metrics. Like, at some point when you're, when you're the worst at everything, is that sort of the level we have to hit before we stop and say, maybe we should, like, let, let funding for schools happen. Maybe we you know, maybe like taxes, all taxation is not theft, right? Because we're not 12. And, you know, we, we've outgrown the fountainhead because we're adults. Um, and so I like, I shudder to think where that goes. And every time it comes up, Andre, you were just, you just kind of mentioned, like, there have been advocates sort of against this. It's been on, it's been on ballots over and over. Um, I don't know what it's going to take to get Colorado to stop seeing like beyond you know, I got a $17 check back from Tabor one year. I got a $17 check. Like, I don't, I don't have a school that works, but I have $17. Like, that, I find that obscene. I find sort of that irresponsibility to the commons, to the idea of the commons and the public good to be obscene. I'll stop now. <laughs> no, that's great. No, thank you. <laughs> 
it is uh it is a shame it is a shame because there is great economy in colorado but what it seems like is like we need to import people from other parts of the country to make this economy work where we need to, i believe to fund schools give coloradoans the skills they need and do what's right for people in colorado um I, i'm not sure how long yeah it just seems like it's not working for the people that it needs to be working for. We're to the point now, if you don't have like a sugar mama or a second job, you can't be a teacher. Like I, I can't count how many teachers I know who fold jeans at JC Penney's on the weekends. Like these are like people with masters, like successful professionals with master's degrees and they're folding pants at JC Penney's because you know, they, they want their kid to be able to play soccer or something. That's clearly not sustainable. Like we're not going to have any teacher over the age of 30 at some point. Over uh, Uber Eats food delivery driver here. Hi. There you go. You. Wedding officiant <laughs> right here. I still love that. <laughs> Sugar mama. <laughs> See, we all, all right. We're all making a go it's of it. Open now. It's on the open. <laughs> hey, uh, so the Gallagher Amendment, it's up for repeal, right? It's up for repeal. So uh, the Colorado legislature in a, in a super majority, bipartisan measure, um, moved to repeal it. It'll be on the ballot in November. And that's something that we all of voting age can, can look for. And if we can hold that tax rate where it's at, we won't lose any more uh, revenue that can be used to fund roads and education and some of the things we talked about. Um, another initiative, an, an, another initiative that hopes uh, that we hope to get on the ballot is Fair Tax Initiative 271. And Andrea, I've heard that this looks to provide around two billion dollars in revenue for the state. Um, how, how does it plan to do that? Thanks, David. So essentially, Initiative 271 um, is looking to make taxes more equitable in Colorado, more fair, as Micah said earlier, like everyone should pay, pay their fair share. Um, so this is going to actually raise taxes for the top 5% of high earners in Colorado, and then lower taxes for the other 95% of Coloradans. So right now, if you look at the overall taxes in Colorado, so this includes property, income, sales, everything, the highest paid earners in Colorado under our system actually pay the lowest overall taxes. Um, and I saw this in graph form and it was pretty startling to me and shocking um, and really pushed me into action because our middle and low income earners are actually paying the highest amount of taxes when you include in that uh, sales tax, especially. There's the idea of goods versus services. And so if you can afford a service, you're not paying the sales tax on some of those items. Whereas if you're buying the goods at the store and doing it yourself, you're gonna be paying that sales tax. So overall it inequitably um, causes our lower income earners, our mostly minority families to be paying more in taxes than some of our highest earners. Um, so this is basically saying that all Coloradans with a taxable income that is less than $250,000 a year will see their tax rates decrease to 4.58%. So they'll be paying a little bit less than they are now. And then if you are making over 250,000 a year, 
you'll be paying um, a little bit more in taxes and it's only on that 250,000 or more. So everything below that is still at the 4.58%. And then above that, I can't remember exactly what the percentage is, um, but you'll be paying a little bit more to help even out that distribution. So by doing this, it is um, believed that Colorado could generate up to $2 billion, like David mentioned. And the cool thing about this initiative is that it guarantees that half of the money raised, so half of that $2 billion they hope to raise, will go directly to education. So it'll go to increasing pay for our teachers and support staff. Um, and the other half of the $2 billion would go towards public services like roads, transportation, mental health, low-income housing. So the group that is putting this in it or trying to get this initiative on the ballot um, really worked with some of the other groups that are working for uh, better low-income housing, more mental health support in Colorado to come up with this in a way that they thought would distribute some of the money to some of those much needed uh, industries as well. And the other cool thing about Initiative 271 is that only 10% of the money raised can go towards admin costs. So they heard from a lot of voters that well, we feel like we always pass these things and there's all this money that's gonna be generated with hopes of helping and where does it go? And people feel like it just goes towards administrative costs and never actually ends up helping the things that it claims to help. So the cool thing about this um, initiative is that it actually kind of puts a cap on that, uh, which I know for me is really awesome. I see that literally half of this money is going towards education and uh, it's very kind of specific in the language it uses on that. So yeah, that's 271 and it's uh, needing signatures to get it on the ballot. So I know we're gonna talk at the end about how you can help with getting 271 on the ballot, uh, but that's a really, really important thing that's happening right now in Colorado. And then, frankly, it's something that should be happening nationwide. Um, I, I've taught social studies for years and I'm, I'm fascinated that, so sometimes kids will ask me like, what political party are you or whatever? And I always tell them that I'm an Eisenhower Republican right? If you look at like Eisenhower in the period, of, like during the, during World War II and immediately after we had a, we had a progressive income tax that was, I mean, it was massive. Like the, the richest people were paying, you know, 75, 80% in taxes. Um, and that was not a controversial place to be, right? Like Americans were just like, that makes complete sense. Like a pro progressive taxation systems have existed forever. Um, and we also see there's a direct correlation between progressive income taxes like this and how prosperous and, and sort of democratic and free your society is. And so the fact that like, I can't imagine somebody sitting there going, you know, I make half a million dollars a year and this isn't fair, right? Because they're right. Nothing could be less fair than you taking home half a million dollars a year and still being a victim, right? Um, and so hopefully, you know, this tiny step, like this is nothing compared to what, you know, the Eisenhower administration would have done with progressive taxation, but things like this generate equity and they create, you know, we wonder why things like civil rights movement happens and why like the longest periods of peace and prosperity in our country happen. Very often they correlate directly to things like this, right? Now people have jobs and security. And when you have job security, now you can pursue other things and sort of fulfill yourself as a human being and as, as a community and as a culture. Um, so obviously I'm in favor of this tiny measure. Uh, I would go much further, but it probably wouldn't, wouldn't gain a whole lot of traction in Colorado. Yeah, I wanted to mention one other thing based on what you just said, Micah, which is that 
we talked earlier about how Colorado got that CARES Act money, and I mentioned that that's something very short-term and not super sustainable. Um, this would be something that is sustainable for years to come and would provide more funding over the years. So that is one of the things I also really like about this. And like Micah said, this is moving from a um, flat tax to progressive tax. So currently Colorado is only one of six states that has a flat tax. Uh, so if you just look nationwide, more states have a progressive tax and are moving, like I think a lot of states are moving in that way and realizing kind of the, the equity issues around taxation and how to make it more fair so that everybody's paying their fair share. Excellent. Uh, these are all great points and uh, I think as progressive as Colorado is moving, I think it's time for our tax policy to follow suit. Um, and, and, and out of that, we can see uh, money flowing to some of the areas that need it the most. Uh, Absolutely. If you've come here because we have this booming economy, the least you can do is contribute to the society that produced this booming economy for you. That's produced this. We have an unbelievable standard of living in Colorado. Like it's a, it's a, it's the best place in the world to live, right? That's why I live here. It's spectacular. So if people take the time to sort of come here and enjoy the fruits of what Colorado offers, especially economically, I think it's a reasonable expectation to then pay to, con to continue sort of that, that standard of living, pay to continue what makes Colorado so great. Absolutely. And Andrea, you said uh, you had mentioned that this is a initiative that needs to get on the ballot. And so I know there are uh, a few requirements uh, that there needs to be a total number of signatures, but with a new law, I guess it was passed that 2% of those signatures have to come from each district in the state. So we can't have 50% of signatures just coming from one district. We need at least 2% of the signatures coming uh, from every district in the state. Um, do you, uh, you want to tell people how you can either sign a petition or carry a petition? Sure. So this is one of the things that we want to um, kind of end all of our episodes with is like an action item, something you can do to help uh, in this realm. So you can go to fairtaxcolorado.org and they have lots of information on there. They can also do like webinars for you where they'll teach you about it. Um, we hosted one just for ourselves because we wanted to learn more and it was really, really awesome and really informative. They also have, you can print um, from your home a single signer petition and sign it and mail it back to them to add your name to the petition to get this on the ballot. The other option is that you can be a petition carrier. So you can sign up to carry a petition. I know times are weird right now with COVID and social distancing, um, but I signed up to carry a petition and I've just been asking like neighbors, friends, family, I'll drive to them, wear my mask, uh, bring some hand sanitizer, clean pens and ask them to sign it. And like David said, one of the new things that is making it really hard for some of these petitions to get on the ballot is that they require 2% of all voters from every district, so 2% from each district to have signed the petition. So I talked about Colorado earlier, we have a lot of rural small communities. Um, so getting 2% from some of those districts is gonna be extremely important in getting this on the ballot. So if you live um, outside of the Denver metro area or in the Denver metro area, um, getting these petitions signed is gonna be really important. 
And then if, uh, if you're not ready to hold a petition, you know, you can always sign one, send it in, or just look, hopefully look for it on the ballot and then um, vote to pass it in the next election cycle. Um, because that's something really important as well as once it gets on the ballot, making sure people understand what it is and that literally for 95% of Coloradans, it's going to be a tax break. So for the majority, it's going to be something that helps them. And then for those 5%, if you um, go on to the Fair Tax Colorado website, you can look at that graph I was describing and it'll show you how the graph is slanted one way now and how it can be a little more equitable with this initiative being passed. So yeah, I would encourage you guys to go to their website, sign up, figure out how you can get involved. Um, and it's something we hope to see on the ballot in the next year. Excellent. Thank you for that, Andrea. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, well, I think that about wraps up our episode uh, for today. I want to thank you, uh, Micah, for joining us. And uh, your input's been great. So thanks so much for that. Thank you for thank you guys for having me. It's it's an honor. Yeah, we really appreciate it. I know I really enjoyed hearing your perspective and some of the anecdotes you have. You know, having been a teacher in Colorado for for so long, it's really awesome to hear from someone who's who's been there and is still fighting to make it more equitable and make make education better every day. So that's awesome. Let me know. I'd be happy to come back. So we're the most powerful weapon because education is the most powerful weapon you can use to change the world, be the change you want to see in the world. Thanks for listening and look for our next episode coming soon. Thank you for listening to our second episode. If you like what you heard, I hope that you'll go follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at tmpw underscore podcast. That's at tmpw underscore podcast. We hope that you'll go follow us there and you can see a couple of things that we have coming up. So David and I are both really excited. One of the things we have coming up is that our book club, um, and this is mostly a book club of educators, is doing a read of Cornelius Miner's book, We Got This. And as a special um, shout out to our listeners, we are giving away some free copies of this book. They're digital copies of Cornelius Miner's book, We Got This. His book is all about equity and access and education. And we're really excited to read it with our book club. And then we're doing a special, um, the most powerful weapon podcast episode all about his book. So if you go follow us on Instagram, you can learn how to enter to win a free copy of his book and read it along with us. The second thing we are doing is we are selling the most powerful weapon. We have t-shirts and hoodies that you can go and buy online um, through our store on um, our Instagram page. You can go look at it. And all of the money that is being raised from these is going to a teacher in Colorado who is looking to get more diverse literature into her classroom. She wants literature that represents all of her students and opens her students' eyes um, and allows them to see some of those windows and mirrors that we talk about in reading. So if you're interested in supporting that cause, please go to our Instagram page. Again, that's at TMPW underscore podcast on Instagram to learn more and to buy a really awesome t-shirt. They look really cool. And I'm not just saying that because I designed them. 
So thank you guys once again for listening, and we hope that you'll go uh, interact with us on social media.